All right, I told you I had a sermon that I believe the Lord gave me, and it's a good one. It's touched me really deep places in my heart. I'm going to talk with you today about the Passover timeline. Oddly enough, there are years that the Passover and the resurrection of Christ come together on the calendar. This is one of those years. Last Thursday was day one of seven days of the Passover. In other words, on the Hebrew calendar, let me rephrase that. On the calendar that God gave the nation of Israel while they had just been in Egypt as slaves. On the last of the plagues, there were, let me back up a little bit more. The people of Israel, the sons of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We all know Abraham, Father Abraham. I think it doesn't matter if you're from whatever uh, faith, from the Middle East, we all relate to Abraham. If you're from other parts of the world, you have heard of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's, it's the name of God. But God had spoken to Abraham, made some promises. Abraham had his son Isaac, and then his son, uh, Isaac's son, Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was not liked by the others, so they pretended he was killed. But he was actually sold by them as a slave to some travelers who ended up taking him to Egypt. So Jacob, sorry, Joseph now is in Egypt. But the rest of the family, the brothers know he's not dead. But told the father, Jacob, that he's dead. And then there comes a famine. And during that famine, the only place that they could find food, wheat, was in Egypt. So the whole family goes to Egypt after some long circumstances. And they see Joseph and Joseph tells them, bring my family and my father and so forth. And the whole family now comes to Egypt. And at that time, Joseph was very popular with the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So they stay there and they flourish there and Joseph is doing well. But later on, as time passes... The Bible says that now there was a Pharaoh who did not remember Joseph. And he was now jealous. This Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, was jealous of how well the Israelites were doing, especially their women. They would give birth like you wouldn't believe. They were, they were very productive, fertile. So the family of Israel, or Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, that's why we call them the people of Israel. In other words, the people of Jacob the people who are the grandsons of Abraham, that whole family we call Israel because God changed Jacob's name to Israel. So the family of Israel is now in Egypt and Pharaoh now hates them and decides to make them his slaves. And in that situation, they are going through a lot of pain. But in their pain, the Bible says in Exodus, the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, that God heard the cry of his people and he came down and he actually spoke to some human called Moses. Moses, you, you heard of the Prince of Egypt, you've seen the Disney movie, you've, you know all of that. But read it in Exodus, it's a more interesting story than the Prince of Egypt actually is able to tell us. So Moses was just a little baby that his mother put in an ark 
Oh, sorry, not an ark, a basket. Mo Noah was the one in the ark, but they're the same thing. That wasn't a slip of the tongue. Think about it. So anyway, his mother puts him in a boat, little basket, covered in tar, just like the ark, and puts him in the Nile, and his sister follows after him, but the sister of Pharaoh sees this baby boy, and she knows he's Hebrew, he's Jewish, and she picks him up and raises him at home, but his sister tells her, anyway, long story, I'm not going to get into details, but let's stick with me here. Moses is now young, young prince in the courts of Pharaoh, but then something happens and he has to run away because he killed one of the Egyptians that was abusing one of the Israelites. So he's now in the wilderness. And God comes to him and speaks to him. And he says to him, I have heard the cry of my people and I have come down to save them. Now you go and get them out of Egypt. Huh? You heard the cry. Why should I go? You go. No, I want you, Moses, to go. But, 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 but I can't talk because I have a problem with my speech. Because that's okay, I'll be with you. No, I can't talk. I'm, I'm, I'm not good about this. Fine, what do you want to do? I want Aaron to help me. So he takes his brother Aaron. But he's the one that God called. Anyway, long story. Read it in Exodus. It's amazing. Now, Pharaoh and, jo and Moses, who were both kids that grew up together in the house of this Pharaoh's father, who did not remember Joseph. So now these two Pharaoh and Moses are sitting there and they know each other. They have history. They grew up as kids. And God, uh, or, and, and God speaks to Moses and says to him, let, tell him, let my people go. Why? Because Israel was in bondage in Egypt. Are you in bondage? What are you in bondage in? Are you in bondage to bad habits? To bad thoughts? To bad actions? Are you in bondage to disease? Are you in bondage to a bad relationship that just keeps hurting and stinging? Are you in bondage to an old relationship that you've never been freed from, even though you've been separated and divorced and it still hurts? What kind of bondage are you in? And who is your Pharaoh? Because we're all like Israel. We're all in a situation where we have our own Pharaoh, our strong man who binds us, who keeps a slave under his thumb. We're all in the same place and we all need a deliverer because we can't set ourselves free. We can't get out of the garbage that we are in because we're just too weak for it, because we're stuck in it. What are you addicted to? What's your mind addicted to? What are thought processes that you are addicted to that are destructive to your health, to your well-being, to your relationships. Who's your Pharaoh? So he, God sends plagues to soften or to harden Pharaoh's heart. You would think that he's trying to soften his heart. But God says, no, I'm going to send these plagues to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Now, if Pharaoh's heart gets harder, what's he going to do? Is it going to be easier on Israel? He's going to get tougher and uglier and messier in controlling Israel in his grip. So whatever situation you're in, is it getting harder to deal with it? 
Is the stuff that you're contending with getting uglier? Are you finding yourself just ready to break it, but you can't because it's tightened around you and your arms can't even move? God is up to something. Don't despair. Don't think that it's over. Because the time is coming where the Lord is preparing for his big one. And in your mess, it's just the opportunity that God is working. In your crisis, God is working to do something bigger than you can think or imagine. So no matter what you're going through, you could be feeling that you're being crucified. But guess what? That's Friday. But today is Sunday. That was Friday, but there's a Sunday. Jesus was on the cross, Israel was in the wilderness, but there's a Sunday. So we're looking at the Passover timeline today. And in that timeline, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, God speaks to, Israel, to Moses or to Israel through Moses and he says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, Thursday was 15. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 15, 16, 17. Today is the 18th of that month. Okay? So on the 10th of that month, tell the people of Israel, listen to the words. I never saw this. I saw it this week, and it opened my eyes to an amazing reality. He says to them, tell Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family. In other words, the head of every house. Then it was clear. God was working with the men. But today, you could be a single mom. You are the head of that house. You could be living alone. You're the head of that house. You could be a single person. You're the head of that house. So tell each head of the house, take man out, put head of the house. To take a lamb for his family. Your family could be one. Your family could be a hundred. Let's not get caught up in that. But let's accept it. All right? In my home, I'm the head. I'm the man. My wife and I. In Rami's home, he's the head. In Ara's home, he's the head. In Safiya's home, she's the head. Get it? Each person to get a lamb... One for each household. In this church, I'm your senior pastor. I'm bringing the lamb for this household today. Okay? You got it? One per household. Take care of that lamb until the 14th day, which was Wednesday. Just a week ago, a few days ago. 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So as the sun is going down, all over the camp, not camp, all over the community, they were living in, in homes and eventually they became slaves in those homes or they, was dis they were displaced and probably living in some kind of tents. Just like the people in Syria today or the people in Iraq today after the earthquake or those that are living in Anatolia. When I was in Turkey, just last week, did I tell you this? I don't remember who I've told and who I haven't. Did I tell you what's been happening in Turkey? I'm going to open a bracket here. Don't lose our place. 
we were in the city called Antalya. Antalya is the largest city that is closest to the earthquake zone. So a lot of the people that were displaced ended up going to Antalya to get shelter. A lot of them got stuck along the way. They didn't make it to Antalya. They got stuck along the way in different tent camps. So the pastors, and I wanted to go early to Turkey to meet with the pastors, the Turkish pastors that I know from the last few years. I couldn't get anybody to meet with me because they were all busy with the displaced people. And I found out why when I got there. They didn't tell me why. They just said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't meet you today. We're going to be all there at the, at the, with the displaced people. Sometimes they call them refugees, but they're not really refugees because they're still in their own country. So when I got there, I found out the group I was there with is a group called Sat7. Those of you who know Sat7, Sat7 has four channels, Arabic, Arabic for children, and that's been serving a lot of the kids in Syria and Iraq that have been displaced, stuck in tents, no access to schools. Sat7 Arabic kids is serving them with Arabic schooling where they can get equivalents and get their certificates for the next level education. Farsi, and Farsi now is growing. It's actually including other languages of that region, a specific focus on Afghanistan. So if you go to Facebook and search church for the number Afghanistan, you can find the Facebook page for Sat7, and it's amazing the conversations that are happening on there. And then there's Sat7 Turk, and that's who was hosting us in Turkey, the team from Sat7 Turk. So they were sharing with us why they were going on location so much as opposed to videoing in the studios that they have created. They've been going to the streets and they've been going to the villages and the, the, the camps, and they haven't been filming the pain of the people. They felt that that was a violation of their privacy and their, their pain. But now they're being asked to videotape. So they have their cameras in the cars and the trucks, but they've been going for a different reason. And what happened in Turkey when the earthquake happened, the churches in Turkey immediately got together. And they said, this time it's going to be different. Because the last time they had an earthquake, there was a lot of missionary groups that came from outside of Turkey. And those groups went in because they were hungry to share the gospel with the people of Turkey because they are not Christians and they need to know the gospel because look at them, they're in bad situation. We got to help them fast. But in so doing, they offended so many people. Beat them over the head with the Bible as it were. To the point that the government called the evangelical church a terrorist organization. And that was over 10 years ago. Actually 20 years ago. It was 1999. So they've been working hard to get that label off of them. And it finally came off. So now that it came off, when this earthquake happened, they didn't want the same thing to happen. So they talked to other groups that were scheduled to come in. And they told them, if you're coming here to share the gospel, please don't come. They said, what do you mean? That's what we're about. So if you're going to come, you're going to do it our way. And our way is just to go and serve. What was I doing out there? I wasn't preaching. I was modeling something. So they were offered 
They gave. They continued. And some people came from outside. And they submitted to the church in Turkey, which is the way it's supposed to be. Because the Bible says that the thief comes from outside to steal, kill, and do whatever he wants to do. But the good shepherd, but the, the, the good servant comes in from the front door. And the people that came from the front door worked with them. So they served and served and served. And they did not share the gospel at all, except when somebody specifically asked. But they just served, took blankets, took food, took medicine, took their selves, their hands, their time, their sweat, took the eyes that saw the pain. They were in pain because of the pain of the others. And they need help with trauma recovery. Until the media shifted the focus now in Turkey from the, uh, the earthquake to the election that's coming up and all the political nonsense that's associated with that. And everybody left. It's no longer in the media. Except for the church. The church continues going into the region, continues doing the exact same thing, doesn't take advantage of the situation to make a video out of it and put it on the screen and say, oh, look at how good we are because we're serving, but just served. And as it continued, people got curious. Why are you guys here when everybody left? So they asked, and they had answers. And the answer was, because we love you. Why do you love us? Who are we to you? Well, who were we to Christ? But he came and died for us. And we want to follow him. We are his followers. We are his children. We do what he did. He washed the disciples' feet. We're here to wash your feet. He fed the hungry. We're here to feed you. He healed the sick. We're here to heal you. Let me know more about this Jesus. And now Bible studies are happening all over that region and the, and the, the different things. Why? Because they served and didn't beat people over the head. So on the 14th day, all of Israel, the community, must slaughter them at twilight. Can you imagine what that was like in all those tents, in all those camps? There were hundreds of thousands, million plus Jews living in Egypt, Israelis, Israelites living in Egypt. And all of a sudden at twilight, everybody takes their lamb, takes their knife. And more or less at the same time, you know, a minute up or down, 10 minutes up or down. But all of a sudden you're hearing, bah, and slash. And little kids seeing it, watching the blood gush, getting angry at daddy for killing their favorite animal that grew up with them for the last four days. Because they were supposed to take that animal home, become friends with them, feed them, make sure it's an unblemished animal. But now that animal has been killed. It must have been similar to what the disciples felt. Three and a half years, Jesus worked with them, served with them, fed them, traveled with them, ate with them, helped heal their mother-in-law for Peter, fed miraculously 5,000 with two loaves and five, or five loaves and two fish. Was it that? The other way around. Which was it? Five loaves. Thank you. The coffee is still not kicked in. <laughs> so they saw all of that. And all of a sudden now, he's getting ready to be crucified. They must have been really confused. Like the little children were confused when daddy took every man, the head of the family, took the knife and slaughtered the sheep. But if that wasn't enough, can you imagine the shell shock of the little kids 
all over the city of uh, the, the, the region of the camp or the community of Israel, when the father would take some of the blood and put it on the sides and on the top of the doorframe of the house that they were living in, where they were supposed to now eat this animal that they raised for four days. The shock, the confusion, the pain, not their own pain only, but watching this lamb get slaughtered and its blood now is being used to paint the walls. On that same night, God says, I will pass through, pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Nine plagues. Israel's or, or Pharaoh's heart is getting harder. He's making them do more with less. They had to make bricks without straw. Straw is that thing that keeps the the mud and everything together to make the brick so when it dries it becomes a solid piece of brick he's asking to, to build with no materials basically make blood from stone you know the expression you can't get blood from stone well he was trying pharaoh was trying and your enemy and mine tries many times in our lives to squeeze us to make us feel the pain he says i will pass I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood that's on the doorposts will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. And that's where we get the word. Pass over. It isn't some English word that is the sounding of a Hebrew word, Passover. <laughs> it is an English word that comes from passing over. I am not going to go into that house and the spirit of death is not going to go into that house, but I'm going to protect that house because of the blood that's on it. I'm going to pass over it so no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So get this. There's a lot of garbage going on in the world today. There's a lot of plagues going on in the world today. There's a lot of earthquakes going on in the world today. This does not mean that we as Christians are going to be exempt from tasting those things. There's people in those camps in Turkey that are strong Christian believers that have been faithful for years, but now they're without a home. Now they're without anything. There's been Christians that have gone through the pandemic. Some have died. Our pastor John died of COVID during the first month of the pandemic in 2020. I'm not saying that this is what's, what's happening. But I'm saying that through that, there's victory. There's passing over. There's protection for you for your deepest thing, which is your spirit. He is going to protect your spirit no matter what the situation of this world are. But you've got to have the right perspective. You've got to have your eyes open to the right thing. You've got to recognize that whatever has happened with Israel back in that day is happening in your life today by His protection, His blood, his covering because you have the blood on your doorpost of your house. And he will pass over you. You're protected on the inside. You're just like Noah in the ark covered in the pitch. You're just like Moses in that little basket. His little ark covered in the pitch. He's working hard. So let's look at the Passover timeline. I thought a Passover was an event that happened when Moses first got the Hebrew calendar some 
3,000, 4,000 years ago. Yes, it is. But it isn't just an event. That event took place at the time of the Exodus. That was when God first introduced the calendar to the people of Israel. And he said, on the 14th day, I will go through the land of Egypt and I will kill the firstborn of men and, and animals, humans and animals. But I will pass over you and protect you. So that was the Exodus. Can you all see that? Okay. But he didn't just stop there. In Exodus 12, he goes on, he says, this is a day you are to commemorate. Commemorate means what? It means to remember. <laughs> the word remember is amazing to me. It sounds like th this arm, which is my member of my body, has been disconnected. And by remembering it, I'm remembering it, putting it back into position. So when you remember the Passover, it's my way of visualizing what words really mean. It's not really the etymology of the word, but that's really what it represents. By remembering something, open a bracket, I love coffee. Those of you that know me know that. You know why? When I was six or seven, my dad in Egypt would take me with him to the pharmacy in the summer. It was right downtown, and it was in a building that was oval. And there were shops all around the main floor. Offices upstairs. Not too high a building, maybe three floors, two floors, three floors. But for me as a seven-year-old, it was a huge building. And that walk around that block, it was so safe that I could do it on my own at 10. That was 1960-something, 68. I would walk around that building all by myself. And there was one little shop right around here. If my dad's shop was here, his pharmacy was here, right around here there was a little shop. And in the back here, there was another shop. And when you pass by those, oh, I still remember the smell. You know what it was? Freshly roasted coffee. They were roasting it right there. And I would remember that smell. And when we were bringing the coffee in and making the pots downstairs, I was going right back to when I was 8 or 10. And I was remembering. The smell caused the trigger that made me remember. So I was all of a sudden <laughs> coming back to remember all that was going on at that time. We had the privilege, Aaron and I, when we were in Cairo, we went and visited that same place. Now it's run by the guy's son that I used to go and visit. And I told him about the story and I showed him. And he opens up the books and he has the original documents of when he leased that place back in 1952, even before I was born. So his father knew my father. And he says, I have to make you guys a coffee. And again, the smell in my mind starts to remember. <laughs> and it's just a whirlwind. But do you have those experiences where all of a sudden you smell something and it takes you right back? That's what the Passover remembrance and commemoration is supposed to do. It's supposed to take you. Remember this timeline? It's supposed to take you right back in history and connect you to that experience so that experience doesn't just become a memory that's lost but an experience that's lived. So when he says this, for generations to come, 
They shall celebrate, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. A lasting ordinance, a commandment, an order. Celebrate this day, verse 17b. Celebrate this day as a lasting order, ordinance for the generations to come. So the timeline now doesn't just look like this, but it looks like this. Where from that moment in Exodus, the Passover continues through all of time. It is supposed to be remembered and remembered, relived, re-experienced. So you and I can be part of that same Passover. You and I can receive the benefits, the glory, the healing, the saving, the separating and the cutting off the bondage and coming into that experience. And you know we do that because... Paul tells us that the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And, in, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, this is my body, which is for you. Every man, take a lamb for his household. On the 14th day, slaughter it and eat it and put the blood on the doorposts of the house where they will eat it. They were eating the lamb. And if you read Exodus 13 or 12 and 13 and 14, the instructions are very clear. Nothing can be left over. If there's anything left over the next day, burn it. You're supposed to eat it. You're supposed to make it you. You are what you eat, you know. You're supposed to get it into you. It's supposed to become part of you. You're supposed to receive its fullness, its power, its grace, its salvation. When you eat... This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Does that sound familiar? An ordinance that's forever. And then in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. In other words, as you put it on the doorposts of your house, as it touches your lips, you're basically putting that blood on the door of what goes into your house. And the communion becomes that seal where you remember. And can I have a Kleenex over, please? Thank you. And all of a sudden, you are restoring or remembering or commemorating with every communion act that we do. We're going back to what Jesus did. But guess what? We're not only going back to what Jesus did. But we're also linking that Good Friday death of Jesus. Take this as my body broken for you, my blood shed for you. We're linking that Good Friday to the exodus of the Israelites. But that's not all. And Jesus said, Paul says, whenever you get together then, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Because we're all in one house. Remember I told you, I'm the senior pastor here, so I'm your father. I'm supposed to slaughter this lamb and serve it to you. And we eat it together and we put the blood on our doorpost as a church, as City River. So when you eat together, you should all eat together. So he's saying to the church that is now past the death of Jesus, past the 12 disciples, much more advanced in time, years later after Jesus died on the cross, he tells them to do this because this Passover, 
that Exodus Passover and the crucifixion of Jesus and his death Passover is supposed to continue forever. That we remember and we be part of that same communion, be part of that same Passover, be part of that same saving grace of God that takes us over and take it further. But that's not all. It didn't start just with the Exodus. In Exodus, oops, in Genesis, this is a mistake here. In Genesis 14, not Exodus, Genesis. In Genesis 14, 18 and 19, we read these verses. Then Melchizedek, this is at the time when Abraham went out to battle against the other kings that had taken his nephew captive, Lot. When he fought with them, he released him. He saved him. He liberated Lot from the grip of his oppressors. Sound familiar? Just like what happened in Egypt. Just like what happened with Jesus. I have come to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to heal the sick, to restore, to save. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out, wow, bread and wine. There was no mention of Jesus having communion at that time. Nobody had met Jesus yet. This is before even Moses, before they went to become slaves in Egypt, before Joseph went to Egypt and was sold as a slave. This is before Abraham had Isaac and there was Isaac, excuse me, this is before Isaac was even a man to have children. This is before even Isaac was born. Abraham now is sitting in front of the priest of God, most high, and he is offered bread and wine. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And you know what the natural response to that kind of exposure is? What is the natural response when someone tells you, here's bread and wine. In other words, I am the priest of God most high and I'm giving you communion now. In other words, I'm stepping you in. This is not remembering anymore. This is pre-membering, if I can put it that way. Before even it happened in the Exodus, before it even happened at the cross, most high, the priest of God most high, Melchizedek, is giving a foretaste of what's to come. And he says to Abraham, here, you understand what's happening here, Abraham. There's going to be a lamb. There's going to be something dying. There's going to be some bloodshed. So here's the, the foretaste of that. And maybe that prepared Abraham for when God asked him to bring Isaac to the, cross, or to the, to the altar. Maybe that's why. But what was Abraham's response? What should our response be when we come face to face with the reality of what Jesus did on the cross? It's worship. It's worship. We heard that last week from Steve when he was here with us. True, honest worship. And you know what true, honest worship looks like? This is not because the church needs your money. But this is what Abraham did. He gave him a tenth of everything. Are you tithing? Do you tithe as an act of worship? I know we don't even have a plate going around here. I had people that, you know, they were 
with us for some time and they realized, hey, these guys don't pass a plate. What's going on? They asked, how do you fund your ministry? We said, well, people go online, cityriver.com slash donate. They talk to Lara. Some pay by cash, some pay by checks, some pay online. We prefer you to pay online. It costs us a little bit more, but it's easier for the finance team to do what it needs to do. But this isn't about that. I'm not trying to tell you because we need your money or we want your money or we are trying to get you to give. I'm telling you this because that's the expectation of what a heart of worship is. To give. So check your heart. If you're not giving, remember last time I shared with you that if you're not forgiving, you've got to check your heart about how much you really have been saved. If you're really aligned with God and, and walking in His way. If you're not able to forgive. If you're not able to give. It's the same thing. Forgive, give, pre-give, give, give, give again. All of it has to do with giving. Why? Because the greatest verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, says what? For God, say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave. Wow. So he can give, but you don't want to. He can give bread and wine, and Abraham wanted to. So he brought it out and poured it out in front of him. A tenth of everything that he had won in battle, and he brought it to him. So the timeline now doesn't just look like Exodus, Easter, or Good Friday, today, but it goes further back. It goes back to Melchizedek. But is that where it started? Revelation 13, 8 tells us about what's coming. And he says that the time John sees this, and he says that the time is coming when all the inhabitants of the earth, all the people on the earth, will worship the beast. Who's the beast? He's the one that is the false. He's the one that is the controller. He's the new pharaoh across the whole world. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb. <laughs> Look at the inference there. Those who have not had the Passover of their own. Whose lamb, who's not written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, or the creation of the world. Another word, look again. In other words, this Passover timeline doesn't just start with Melchizedek, it doesn't just start with Exodus, it doesn't get manifest. So these were not just precursors, if I can put it that way, they were not just pre-membering, right, of what's to come on Good Friday, the biggest event in all of history. But it goes back in the mind and in the heart and in the action of God. It goes back to even before this world was made. The Lamb, the Son of God, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the foundation of the earth, even before this, the Lamb was already slain. So Melchizedek, knowing that, can offer, Melchizedek, knowing that, can offer Abraham bread and wine because he knew what happened here before God took the skin and put it on Adam and Eve when they sinned. Does it end with just us having communion today? No. There's one more place that this sacrifice manifests. And the timeline started from before the foundation of the earth. It continues till today. But why am I doing all of this? 
Why am I acting like a clown, wearing a hat and standing out there with an apron, serving you coffee? Coming in here and jumping around and telling you all these things and giving you all these verses week after week, standing here preparing these sermons. And Why? Because there is a day coming that I want you to be prepared for it. There's a day coming that I'm working hard to get you, to present you to God as the beauties that you are, full of the glory that he has made you to be. There's a day coming where the angel said it this way, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. There's going to be one more meal where he is now coming as the Lamb of God, ready to show us and serve us himself. There's no shame in wearing a hat and standing out there and serving coffee because that's what the lamb does. He comes in with his whole glory and he serves you and he pours it out before you. And then he's going to have a wedding between him and the bride of Christ. Christ himself is the lamb and he's going to come in and he's going to be the food of the meal and the meal and the glory king of the meal and the husband of the meal. And it's going to be his wedding and he's going to be all of that. And he adds, and these words are the true words of God. So the timeline continues. And it goes from before the foundation of the earth to Melchizedek who shows a foretaste to Abraham who prepares him to give his Isaac on the altar. To Moses coming and bringing the people of Israel out. To Jesus coming and recognizing all the history that Israel should know and should have studied and should have understood and says, I am. And, and John the Baptist when he saw him coming to the Jordan, says what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Before the foundation of the world, he was slain. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it doesn't stop there. It continues until we get reunited with him. And now we're seated with him. And I want you to be ready for that. I want you to be totally ready for that. Without anything blocking the path, without anything blocking you from being totally surrendered to what he wants you to be and to do. Stop with this nonsense. Stop with the garbage that's keeping you in bondage. Stop with the choices that are keeping you enslaved to things that you hate but you can't resist. Will you? Will you give up and surrender and be in his arms? Receive the power of his resurrection today afresh. Taste it in you. Allow him to take you back to the before the foundation of the earth to show you the heart of God the Father that he so loved you. Today, in your mess, he loved you. Then, today, forever. And he offered his son to die for you, for us. That's why we can pray what Jesus taught us. Our Father. One household. We're all one household. There's one household in the whole city of Toronto. We meet in different places and we think we have senior pastors who become the heads of this family. Yeah, in a way it's true. But there's one city church. There's one national church. And God is trying to prepare that one for all of what he is trying to do. So what do you need to surrender to him today? What do you need to ask him? Lord, get rid of this in my life. Save me from this. Save me from myself. 
Let's stand up. We'll pray together. Father, we come to you today, each of us with our own pharaohs, some who we recognize and some we don't. Some we just think they're our friends. So I come to you on behalf of all of us and I ask you for grace. Grace to have our eyes open first of all. to recognize that those things are not our friend. Those thought processes, those habits, those behaviors, those mindsets are bondages that need to go. So I ask you today, Lord, open my eyes, open our eyes, help us see, help us understand. But whether we understand or not, Lord, just step in as the mighty warrior and just get rid of those pharaohs, even if we don't understand that they are pharaohs. You're the one that is the mighty one. You're the one that, as you said in Scripture, with the mighty hand you took Israel out. Not all of them understood what you were doing. Some of them, most of them probably didn't. But you still saved them. You still brought them out. So I ask you today to move hard among us. Move fast among us. Set us free. Restore us to the fullness of your purpose, of your design, of your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you remember all of this, I hope part of it sticks. As you look back in the timeline, Look ahead to what's coming. Look now to what he's working in you. And try to compare once in a while to where you were a year or two ago and how he has worked hard to bring you to that place. I bless you. I hope that the lamb that we ate together today was well cooked and that it penetrates. And I invite you to join us back outside. Grab another cup of coffee. I'll put my hat back on. And uh, we'll go have some fun. So God bless you. Thank you for being with us in person and online. Have a wonderful resurrection celebration today with whoever you're going to celebrate with. I'm glad we were able to have this time together. God bless you and I look forward to seeing you next Sunday.